One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. So I was in the shower, I was cleaning my ass, and making all the shirts all sparkly, spanking clean. I'm not the funny one. I'm the pretty one. <laughs> I just checked myself out. Music, wine, and then loop up The glory hole is like a, a like dick theater of a magic your mouth. Which means your pants had better come off. Mama needs playtime. We're not sluts. We just love love. This is Angela. And this is Bradford. Welcome back to another episode of By the By. We are joined by two guests. Yeah, we're not alone. I know. (laughs) Exciting. Yes. Would you like to introduce yourselves? We have Devin Christie. Yes. Yes. Who's going to go first? Oh, you go first. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, I'll introduce myself as well because I'm the person who has introduced us to Bradford and Angela. Mm -hmm. Um, My name's Christy Newman. I'm a a friend of Bradford and Angela, um, and I also work at UNSW. I'm an associate professor there at the Centre for Social Research in Health, which basically means I do social science research in and around all kinds of health, but particularly sexual and reproductive health, gender and sexuality, bloodborne viruses, and those kinds of very interesting areas. Um, And my colleague, Deb, is here. I've brought her along. (laughs) Kicking and screaming. (laughs) By no means. (laughs) Look, it's fantastic to be here. So, yes, I'm Deb. Sometimes I'm called Dr. Deb, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So, I am a medical doctor. So, I've had an interesting journey in my career, I have to say. So, I've, I've been the medical director of Family Planning New South Wales now for around about 10 years. And I've worked in this area of reproductive and sexual health for around about 20 years. So, as a, as a doctor in research, I work with Christy. I'm associated, I'm an adjunct professor at the Centre for Social Research in Health at UNSW. And uh, I've got some other interesting appointments at other universities as well. So, I've got a great you know, network of wonderful colleagues to do lots of research with. Uh, I worked for a year um, as the global medical director for Mari Stokes uh, International, which was great. So that was overseeing safe abortion services and uh, family planning services in 37 countries around the world. And I've actually spent quite a lot of time working in in Africa over my career. Mm. So in fact, actually worked in um, Tanzania. And I always get the decade wrong, but I think it was in the 80s. <laughs> it would have been the 80s. Um, and that was actually when people were coming into our hospital with slim disease. And those were the very first cases of, of HIV without a name at that oh. time. Wow. And in fact, when I came to Australia, I actually did my medical degree in Hong Kong. I uh, came to Australia and I worked on, on the pivotal ward at St. Vincent's Hospital. where the, uh, That was in the 90s where, where you know, there were lots of deaths through HIV. So it's, I've had a very privileged career I have to say mm. but it's it's delightful to be working with Christy It now. is <laughs> and look and HIV has also been a big part of my own work as well mm. um, uh, and uh, actually my introduction to academic life came through volunteer care work 
through Community Support Network, mm. which was part of ACON, where there was we provided um, home-based care to people with HIV at that stage. Mm. In the late 90s, people were still dying. Mm. So it's been a pretty extraordinary thing to see how much that's changed mm. um, and really to be part of some incredible innovations in the sexual reproductive health space. But also seeing the politics change over time with increasingly open attitudes, but still, you know, also um, quite deep, long and important um, reluctance to to talk about sexual and gender diversity that we still see in our community. Mm. So, you know, those kind of there's much has changed but also much stays yeah. the same. Yeah. So that's, I guess, the areas that we both work in. It's true. And the mm. interesting thing that's happening at the moment, which is fantastic, is just that recognition that you have to integrate the sexual with the reproductive. Absolutely. So before there's been all this sort of siloing, you know, and, and I'll sometimes talk about, you know, perhaps women that I see and they have to have four intimate examinations for, you know, one to get their, their well, it's no longer a pap smear, but their cervical screening mm-hmm. test. Then another one if they're seeing a sexual health doctor, yep. for, and another one for if they're getting an IUD inserted, for instance. So there's all this fragmentation of care, but now there's a recognition that that is not mm-hmm. the way to to best deliver services. So to to really bring it all together, so that under this umbrella of sexual and reproductive health and rights, actually, which is fantastic. absolutely, and that's really yeah. where we have shared interest mm-hmm. um, and interest in working across universities, clinical, and also with the community organisations that help support the. Yeah, the communities who are living life in their own ways <laughs> and exploring sexually and in lots of other ways and mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, how do we work with those communities mm-hmm. so they can stay safe and keep their partners safe. And I guess that's partly why we're talking to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the best introduction that anybody has ever self-given on our, our like, we're, we're, we're official now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's amazing it's like there's so many questions just listening to you guys Mm -hmm. talk about just your background and I'm thinking wow we could just do a whole podcast on this Um, that's true (laughs) regular contributors to by the by Uh, Uh, yeah so I guess kind of where I wanted to start out was it was interesting when you were just talking Deb about the the siloing. <laughs> <laughs> when you were talking about the siloing of of care, and it just I never really thought about that. It never really occurred to me. I guess because I typically have seen one doctor for you know for my pap smears, and then also same for getting birth control and whatnot. And but I'd never thought about it at some point that that could be siloed, and that just seems so difficult to get the right information and between everybody and and to know what's going on with your own care as well so and and to touch on that as the resident male here at the table (laughs) male identifying person at the table um what do you mean by siloing are you saying that uh, like a a lady might see different doctors to get different things yes and and some of that may be her own choice of course because she may be choosing Mm. to go somewhere other than her regular gp for something more for sdi testing because they exactly okay 
But what we do need to do, and, with, and there are some great models in Australia, I have to say as well, So, uh, but certainly some great models overseas. In, in Scotland, there's this fantastic integrated service where under one, one roof, uh, there's, there's transgender services, there's abortion services, obviously re- other reproductive health services, mm-hmm. sexual health, HIV services. Uh, and so it is that one-stop shop. And mm-hmm. I think uh, that's it's certainly something we can have a look at and, and make sure it is all about just making sure that we are providing you know, patient-centred or client-centred, consumer-centred services for people so mm-hmm. and, and not having that siloing effect. So And, and I do a lot of work. We, are training, we train a lot of GPs and, and now, in fact, what we're wanting to do is to actually enhance the ability for GPs to be able to offer medical abortion, for instance, as well. Okay. So we know that that's not happening very, very frequently, as well as being able to put in IUDs, as well as being able to put in implants and, and deliver PrEP, for instance. So it's, it's about supporting GPs, because that's where the majority of, of you know, people in Australia go for their health care. And it's making sure that they, you know, they, they do feel supported in that general practice. So what's like the main hurdle that's standing in our way of doing this? Yeah, so sometimes it is policies and it's funding and it's all of those sorts of things. So it's about being able to have good policies that actually allow that to happen. So I think sometimes if you go to a sexual health clinic, they may not be funded to do cervical screening, for instance. Mm-hmm. So that woman then has to go somewhere else uh, to find that extra service. They may not be funded to put in an IUD, so that doesn't happen. So, But the conversations are happening now, which is really great, and there's a real recognition that we've got to make this work for people. So, Yeah, yeah because definitely. the worry, of course, is the missed opportunities. Yes. That, mm-hmm. that, that if somebody is yeah. presenting and is talking about um, one area, that we need to not miss the chance to then ask the important questions about the, the linked um, things which may which may be missed otherwise mm-hmm. because people don't necessarily know themselves they're also really busy um, you know yeah, uh, the, yeah. The, you know we have some concerns about um, whether GPS themselves feel as confident as they as they could yeah mm-hmm. um, and should in certain areas and certainly there are some topics some uh, procedures that may make them uncomfortable mm. may make them worry mm. um, that they oh you know um, it, 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 they might get something wrong. They might, it, you know, legally, what is this? Mm-hmm. What are, you, you know, uh, it, thorny issues socially and politically and legally that do come up. Yep. And is it also a case where if a GP doesn't do a certain procedure very frequently, then they're not going to have the confidence necessarily when they're doing it. But as they do it more frequently, that confidence is going to go up. But then how do you start that ball it's rolling? It's the catch-22, yeah. isn't it? You're right. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. And in that family planning, we run a lot of practical training sessions for, for GPs as well so they can come and okay. insert their IUDs in our setting and then hopefully translate that into their into their practice but Chris what you mentioned Christy is absolutely right so in fact I train I um, train medical students at Sydney uni uh, around how to talk about sex to adolescents <laughs> because we know that actually they can go through sometimes me, you know, medical students can go through their whole career and actually just not have the language they just actually can sometimes lack that language Absolutely. to be able to then put that into practice so but again there's recognition that communication is the absolute key because <laughs> clinicians are humans too yep. they yeah. come from their own cultural backgrounds yep. their own religious backgrounds their own family environments where they're Yes. largely are often difficulties in talking frankly about sex yes. and so you know assuming that clinicians are going to have those skills 
uh, particularly in relation to some of these more yep. socially contentious areas. Um, yeah. you know, there's, uh, yeah. we, we, I think we need to assume that, that everybody needs that support right. in learning how to do that more, more robustly. So yeah. how do you teach a, com- a clinician to talk frankly <laughs> uh, and openly about sex, mm. I'm assuming sexuality yep. and sexual health? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that seems to me... Yeah. Like, I've met doctors. (laughs) Well, and sometimes we have a hard enough time doing that amongst our very personal close relationships. And now you're trying to get them to do this with a complete stranger, basically. And then also let the stranger open up to them. Yeah. You know, this, it's very clear that you were talking, Christy, about missed opportunities that if I'm too shy as a doctor to talk to you about your Mm -hmm. sexual health and you're too shy to bring it up to me, or if you bring it up, I I put Mm -hmm. both my hands up and go, oh, I'm I'm not qualified to talk about that. Mm -hmm. That could be something that could be life-threatening for Mm -hmm. you if if Mm -hmm. not addressed. But we have to have so much compassion for how complex that yeah. is, you know. Yes. That even um, so, often we know that some some clinicians can really be worried about offending the, mm-hmm. the patient um, by and can make assumptions really about about what what that patient will be willing to talk about, and also assumptions about the kind of sex that they're having, or you know, there's yeah. all kinds of things that we're reading of each other. It's absolutely right. So, in fact, you asked. Uh, how you teach about it and it's interesting because it really is recognized in in medical schools now that communication is as important if not more so in fact it sits over everything than as you know learning to do a pelvic examination for instance and Mm -hmm. it is about actually having the script so giving the script Mm -hmm. and practicing saying those things and learning how to you know reflect language back and and so people you know role plays are an absolute sort of yeah, it's part of every sort of medical school examination now, and, you, and actually you get examined on that. And it's recognising, because we also train a lot of doctors who work in Australia who've come from many different cultural backgrounds mm-hmm. as well. So, and again, family planning specialises in that. And so you've got, you know, there's cultural attitudes, of course, and, and different beliefs. And so very important, mm-hmm. as you say, to recognise whether you made me think about, we did a study with um, older women, and I use that term advisedly, do I count? No. <laughs> they said it was over 40. I must have We made it. It was interesting. It was with a big internet dating company who were fantastic, actually. We surveyed all these women. Then we did it with men later on, actually. We, we surveyed younger and older, in inverted commas, women. And we were asking them about, uh, you know, just, just use of condoms in new relationships and all the rest of it. Uh, and, in fact, we found, perhaps not surprisingly, that the older women were less li- or more likely to have unprotected sex on the first you know, no first risk day. of pregnancy yeah well no risk of pregnancy yeah, but also just lack of information and, yeah. and that other thing of just not getting information when they went to the doctors and there was some interesting yeah. research we found around just that research showing that, that doctors actually sometimes you know if there are young doctors they just assume that anyone over 40 was just not having sex <laughs> <laughs> and if they were older doctors they sort of felt a bit well, you know, embarrassed about bringing it up and feeling that you know just again just didn't have that language for yeah. it so it just revealed a real gap which is actually being addressed now which is good yes. or maybe they thought you know you're old enough you should know better kind of thing as yeah. opposed to actually making sure that people do have the information because if you've never been presented with it why would you yeah. yeah, I mean, I can definitely see this both yeah. both sides of that. You know, the younger doctors don't want to offend the <laughs> the inverted commas again older <laughs> uh, older patients, and then the older doctors are, I mean, admittedly probably more prudish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're not going to bring it up 
And if we don't bring it up, it doesn't exist. Mm. Let's, <laughs> let's stick our head in the sand and, mm. and assume that it's... Yeah, and a big span. And we also have to remember, I mean, I, I don't work in general practice and I take my hat off to the Absolutely. GPs. They have a lot of competing priorities. Mm. Yep. Just mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we're often... You know, we talk about opportunistically bringing up about, you know, about safe sex, etc. If someone comes in with a broken leg, you know, it can be quite challenging sometimes to make that segue. So I think, you know, we also have to be realistic, I suppose, about that sort of load that's on GPs. And I must say, I'm you know, very impressed by all the, the doctors that come to us. And, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And really... Um, uh, very uh, again, kind of socially minded, and mm-hmm. really trying to trying to trying to understand mm-hmm. where people are coming from. Mm-hmm. But there's a huge amount of pressure on them. I think of GPs a bit like teachers in terms of the number of things that we as a society expect them to be able to do (laughs) including how they how they get you know their responsibilities and shifting social attitudes and so on it's it's a lot just one thing i was going to say we interviewed um different generations of uh, people who identify as queer in the three parts of australia from a study called the queer generation study and in um, the, the interviews with younger lgbtq identified people talking about health services was absolutely fascinating um, they had a, a differently from the older generation. They had much higher expectations for the degree of inclusive care they experienced. They, you know, the older generation still wasn't expecting that. Younger generation did. However, the attention that the younger generation paid to how the clinician was acting, how they were practicing, everything they did was absolutely like every single little thing was monitored and it just made me feel um absolutely that that is fair to expect but there's perhaps a there's even more pressure on clinicians to get the sexual and gender politics Mm. right Mm. Mm -hmm. particularly Mm. around understanding the increasing diversity that we see Mm. uh, not only among younger people Mm. um but you know that times really have changed and they continue to mm-hmm. um, and there's yeah there's a lot of pressure on clinicians to get it right there is and we really um, have been very aware of this because we've set up a, a clinic it's a cervical screening service with a oh, yeah. uh, for gender diverse people mm-hmm. and we've got some fabulous nurses I have to say working mm-hmm. in this in this clinic and providing this is the checkout clinic this is the checkout clinic yes and you know, the staff there are marvellous. It's a wonderful space. But then, of course, we know that sometimes the people that go to that clinic, they're going to be referred back into our more general family planning service or they may be referred to, a, to a, another specialist somewhere else. And we've just got to ensure, we had to ensure that they, that continuity of care, that everyone was actually working to the same standards. And I will say that there was a lot of education required because it was a big shift, you know, even yeah. for yeah. our very experienced doctors and nurses who've been working, you know, with a whole wide variety of... Yeah. Of, of people of all different backgrounds but there was still you know just just that bit of a jump and a bit mm-hmm. of a, a leap to make and and I think you're absolutely right and mm-hmm. and you know it's it's important of course we need to be forensically examined I think that's absolutely yes. right yeah but it is also good to recognize that it is challenging and, yeah. and almost without exception the doctors you know I speak as a doctor but are, you know just keen to learn those new skills and, and do the right thing by their patients and if anybody is interested in terms mm-hmm. of a model of care the checkout clinic mm-hmm. is a really interesting one to look up at ACON mm-hmm. um, because of the processes that they put into place around really checking very carefully with where each client is at in terms of 
their preferred pronouns, their relationship to um, uh, to gender, to body parts, the things that they do and don't prefer in terms of processes. It's just mm-hmm. beautifully done. Um, and I just hope that really some of the principles will then be able to be used um, yeah. in, 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 in helpful ways outside of that kind of quite protected space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll yeah. put a link to the clinic in the show notes. Fantastic. Well. Yeah. Fantastic. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So I want to touch on something that, that keeps coming up, a phrase that keeps coming up in uh, the whole family planning clinic. Uh, I think, you know, for, for us coming from the States, it's really funny growing up, every time you heard family planning, that was always equated with abortion. And mm-hmm. that it wasn't about sexual health. It wasn't about health in general. It was about abortion. Nice. And that was it. And nice. it's really, I think that's something that, Whoever's behind the family planning and Planned Parenthood in the States yeah. has done a very good marketing push to show that it's that is one extremely small yeah. Yeah. Um, piece of the puzzle. piece of that of yeah. that very big puzzle yeah. of sexual health and, and health for the LGBTQ community yeah. Yeah. and for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um how is that in Australia? Is it is the mentality behind it similar or? So it's a, it's very interesting you say it because I think certainly family planning and there's a different family planning organisation across all of the different states. We're all funded a little bit differently, but there is an umbrella organisation. We basically do the same sort of, of, of scope. Um, so it's heyday really. I mean, I still say we're still got our heyday, but but things have changed slightly. It was really I suppose in the in the 60s and the 70s when the pill you know the pill first mm-hmm. came to Australia in 1961 uh, and you know contraception was suddenly you know a, a thing that <laughs> you didn't just well actually you did have to be married to start with we had a stash of wedding rings apparently in our in our drawers because <laughs> oh you gosh, could only that's... get the pill if you were married <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, but then so things changed after that but there were sort of a family planning clinic on each corner as it were and I know certainly when I talk to people perhaps in their 60s or so you know they, they remember those days what we do now um, is really, it's more around this training of other health professionals. So we do a lot of training for doctors, a lot of training for nurses. And so there are probably fewer services, but it's about putting, you know, putting the word out there. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, actually, some family planning organisations now are providing medical abortion, but we haven't, the family planning services in Australia haven't actually tr- traditionally been associated mm-hmm. with, with abortion. That may mm-hmm. well change in the future, uh, but it's it's really been m- much more around uh, around contraception uh, but it's it's a whole heap of things actually so I mean it it is true to say that most I mean we don't see so many men in our services but that is increasing Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's really we see people from from adolescence all the way through to you know the (laughs) 90s Uh, and so it's you know just common gynecological problems problems with periods and those sorts of things and infections and STIs and contraception and infertility Mm -hmm. and menopause and and sexual dysfunction so you know also a whole range a whole range of different things so I think it still plays a very important role but people don't always know what family planning means I have to say so and I always remember I talk there was a fellow fixing the family planning sign out of my window one time and I heard him up the pole and he and he shouted to his friend he said Family planning? What's all this then? I've never planned a family in my life, he said. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's been various discussions in the world, really, about you know keeping hold of the term family planning, getting rid of it, changing it. But I think there's a renewed recognition that family mm-hmm. planning, actually, it, it has a, a strong history around that sexual and reproductive health and rights. It's got a... And it would, it's good to... to 
you know, grow it right. <laughs> rather than to mm-hmm. rather than to say, oh, look, you know, let's change, let's call it something that's else. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's got and it has got that strong history, and it does have brand recognition Absolutely. at this point, certainly yeah. in Australia. But yeah, yeah. look, the linking, I guess, to the the contemporary ideas really are about yeah. reproductive health, mm-hmm. yep. which includes choice, mm-hmm. um, access, yep. um, and and uh, issues to do with justice. Mm-hmm. So these are these are really important contemporary issues that an organisation like Family Planning is central to. Yeah, so so we do see, you know, we have our priority populations. I mean, mm-hmm. any, anyone can come in through our doors. You don't need a referral. Often people are, do get referred, uh, and we've we've got a telephone line and a, and a you know live chat and those sorts of access points. But we do have our priority populations, which are around people living with disability, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, young people. We also see see um, people from. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander background, uh, so just you know, we we and and cold of course, so people with culture mm-hmm. from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, and we do a lot of health promotion work. So I've just been looking at actually so a menopause resource mm-hmm. uh, for women from Arabic background and and other backgrounds as well. So it's a it's a video to you know to support women saying mm-hmm. look you know if there is if you're having terrible hot flushes there's something you can do about them. So it's actually quite mm-hmm. good. So you do see people of all different ages there. When it comes to contraception, do you see a difference in the types of contraceptions being used and being chosen from in different populations, like teenagers versus people that are later life stages or those that are in monogamous versus non-monogamous relationships? Like, Do you see shifts and changes depending on the population? Yes, there, are cer- there certainly are differences. I mean, we do collect some data around mm-hmm. contraception in Australia, perhaps not. We'd like to up the ante with it mm-hmm. a bit, actually, so we can drill down more to those population groups. But, but certainly, and I'm actually working, interestingly, with a researcher at, at Sydney University around Chinese women and, and decision-making around contraception. Mm-hmm. And it's been very interesting because some of the assumptions I held have been found to, to be not the case, actually, which is interesting. Uh, but, but certainly, I mean, I always talk about... When and I'm talking, and it's what Christy said around choice. I mean, what suits a woman when she's, say, 17 may be very different to when she's, you know, maybe 20, 26 or when she's 35 and when she's, you know, 51. So so things can change mm-hmm. for an individual, but they also may, be, may vary between individuals at, at certain mm-hmm. ages. But what we are seeing at the moment, actually, which is interesting, is, is just this increased awareness of what we call these LARC methods, the long-acting reversible contraceptives. So that's, you know, yeah. the idea. UDs, hormonal ones or copper ones or, and the implants and there's a global interest in these in these LARC as we call them because we you know we recognize their benefits and we're certainly seeing lots of young women some teenagers coming in asking about asking about LARC which is which is interesting. Yeah. So do you think that that's because they're more aware of the options or do you think that other doctors are pushing that more or is it some combination of the, of the two? I think it's probably a combination of the two but certainly I mean, I've certainly been talking about LARC with my colleagues for quite a long time. And I think now you'd be hard pushed to find a doctor that didn't know the acronym LARC. And so we are certainly seeing a lot of referrals um, mm-hmm. from other other GPs. Uh, perhaps they haven't learned how to put the IUDs in themselves yet. So we, we need to train, train people up. So I think there is increased awareness in the medical profession, but I think there's also uh, increased awareness amongst, in this case, we're talking about young women. Mm-hmm. There's some fantastic websites, uh, you know, some fantastic advocates in the, the community. I was thinking about Gina Rushton, who runs BuzzFeed, who's yes. done some fabulous articles. So I think, you know, young women are, are doing their research. 
uh, and they'll often come in and say, "Look, I've been thinking about this, this, and this, but you know, this is this is what I what I want, and we'll mm-hmm. we'll go make sure that you know we've got all the information about all the different options." But certainly, it's a combination. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, mm. look, I guess I'm immediately thinking about the more complex social issues Absolutely. that underpin some of those things, because as I tend to do, yeah. and I guess one thing that we've talked a little bit about is that. Not everybody feels the same way about hormonal contraception Mm -hmm. and there are, you know, there's all kinds of interesting and important issues that we're looking at at the moment around what trust means um, uh, in in terms of, well, medical interventions generally, but anything that involves a synthetic or and and a kind of that's something that's going to be interfering with your hormones so natural approaches is the sort of idea that um, many young women feel like they would prefer not only only young or older women as well and there's some concerns around that because um certainly i think there's less evidence that kind of natural approaches which includes things like relying on apps to predict your um, (laughs) reproductive cycles and rhythms and patterns. And we know that people are engaging and using self-tracking and digital technologies in new ways all the time. And that's become increasingly a part of who we are, the way that we monitor and understand our bodies in relation to technology. We certainly would hope that um, that's not compromising um, their wellness, their well-being, and also their choices uh, on the basis of what may be misguided fears about the safety mm-hmm. um, and long-term impacts of these particular contraceptive options because they, they're very well proven now um, over in, in many different settings. But, I, you know, my, my position is always to try to understand how people are thinking about things because that's always fascinating and important, but also to make sure that um, we are asking, you know, important questions around why people might not trust in the medical advice that they're receiving well, it's interesting because I've always been of the mindset that was, oh, you know, the IUD, that's a relatively new birth control. But it was developed in the 50s, right? And I didn't realize that until recently when Angela was getting hers replaced. Yeah. And the doctor said that. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, the, the IUD is... Yeah, what, nearly 70 years old now? Yes, yeah, although we've come a long way with yes. IUD. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> they're not quite the same thing. <laughs> sure, but I mean, but it's just that concept. mentality that as a concept, yeah. it's been around for a lot longer than we mm-hmm. have expected. Yeah. Uh, that was sort of the one thing that I thought of listening listening to both. But the other one was something that, was it your grandmother said about the rhythm method? <laughs> it's quite possible. Where are you going with uh, this? Where, uh, I, I just heard you say it before that your grandmother said that the rhythm method is the best way of spacing your children. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, wow! Like, yes. Wow. Yes. So people often do talk about the rhythm method. Yes, being anyway. There's yeah. lots of jokes around the rhythm method. But let's yes. talk about IUDs, and then I'm going to come to the. <laughs> it is interesting because there was. It had, the IUDs have been around for mm-hmm. a, a good long time. And in fact, there was actually a particularly nasty IUD in those early days called Dalcon Shield. Mm-hmm. And it did a, and it was horrible, I have to say. It had a, a multi-filament thread that, and the bacteria could sort of climb up it and it did cause very serious 
infections. There was a big class action in the States, and, mm. and certainly women here also remember that. And sometimes I, I talk to young women, and they say, oh, you know, I'd like an IUD, but my mum says no, you know, <laughs> they're dangerous. And so we need to make sure that yeah. people do have that, that education, that evidence about mm-hmm. the fact that we've come a long way, we've changed our, the approach to IUDs. And this, we, are, yeah. we are critical consumers now. Yeah. 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 We, we, yeah. we have access to so much information yeah. and, and, and knowing how to evaluate. That's right. You know, and also that there's a lot of information yeah. on discussion forums yeah. among other young women or, and yeah. so on. That's a big way that people make yeah. decisions now. So, and, 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 you know, I like to have faith that people can navigate that in really creative and important and, and, and strong evidence-based ways also. So it is hard, isn't it? Because certainly, you know, many people will go on, on blogs and and you can end up down rabbit holes, of course, and it's a challenge. And certainly we see, I mean, it's anecdotally, but I think it's shown in our numbers as well. We're getting increasing numbers of young women who've made a decision to have an IUD, but they're choosing, I should say, but, and they're choosing a copper IUD rather oh. than the hormonal oh. IUD. Mm. But then I do have to talk to, to the young women about it to say, look, you know, your periods will be heavier and probably possibly a bit more painful with the copper IUD, but it has no hormones. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, there's... there's pros and cons with all things and then the, the hormonal IUD there's a small chance of hormonal side effects but you're going to end up with light periods or no mm-hmm. periods at all and it's a little bit more effective in young young women so mm-hmm. it's about making sure that the yeah. women do have that opportunity yeah. to sort of weigh it up and, and and make that sort of informed choice and that's a lot of what the training we do to make sure that you know it's someone comes in and to say oh I'd just like a repeat of my pill that it's not just a sort of quick repeat of your pill that it's a, a chance to think about other things mm-hmm. and because because the options keep changing so yes. there, there are more options mm. that you know I mean the Nuva ring is a good example yes. I think of, of, of an option that many people don't know about partly also because it's not on the PBS but it is another option it's a it's a it's a, a plastic ring that gets inserted right into the vagina quite close to the cervix I doesn't believe matter, or doesn't as long as it stays be. in yes and <laughs> it gets replaced once a month yeah. so it actually yeah. and it do, it's very local it's it's a yeah. it's a hormone hormonal based um, yeah it's the same constituents as a pill actually but it's just yes. delivered in through that vaginal it's local rather than whole body mm. as well so that oh uh, no it's no? actually working whole body okay so it is still, working yes, yes, yes no yes. it's still the the same the hormones are absorbed through the the vaginal mucosa and it's still having that same effect of stopping ovulation and in fact it has the same side effects and risks and yeah. benefits as their as their but you the don't pill. have to take a pill every day but you don't so have to it sounds take a like pill efficacy would be better because you're not taking the pill every day yes yeah, so no risk of forgetting and yeah. isn't the pill also some of the pills you have an hour or two buffer that you've got to eat you take them absorption issues yeah, yeah. That and you've got to take them on the certain a certain time yeah. every day and yeah. depending on what you've eaten whether yes. it's high fat or, or so the not. combined pill you've actually got well the product information says 12 but we know you've got up to 24 hours but the okay. progesterone mm. only pill you've only got three hours yeah. so that's the mini pill okay. and so that can be really hard and we know that in, you know if you use it perfectly the pill it's over 99% effective but in real life it can be down to you know well now we've shifted a bit so 90, 90 or 93% is what mm-hmm. we say so that's seven women in a hundred becoming pregnant in that year of use so whereas with the, eye, the vaginal ring <laughs> you don't have to remember but just to say vaginal ring technology is so interesting so mm. there's lots of developments we so this ring you, you insert and take it out once a month and mm-hmm. the, now there's a new ring that's been developed through the population council in new york which and we were involved in some of the trials and it lasts for a whole year oh wow. so it's wow. amazing so <laughs> women can they can still take it out once a month if they want to to have mm-hmm. a what we call a withdrawal bleed but they could potentially keep it in 
for the whole year and not have any bleeding. <laughs> so they'd still take it out and wash it. But, yes. but it's got enough hormone in it to last for a whole year. And there's all sorts of exciting things going on with this ring technology, the vaginal ring technology, because you can also put things like antiretrovirals or anti-HIV medications oh, in there. Wow. All sorts of things. So it's yes. very interesting. Quite a lot of interest in that for certain parts of the world, yes. particularly Africa, but, but also others yeah. where, right. where yeah. access to some of those prevention technologies has been complicated yeah. by yeah. all so kinds of structural issues. Yeah, They call them multi-purpose technologies or MPTs mm-hmm. where they're doing more than one thing. So they're delivering contraception as well as preventing HIV. Or, yeah, that's fascinating. So, so it is fascinating, yeah. isn't it? Mm-hmm. So that, but we need a lot of, you know, there needs to be a lot of funding and will to yes. get it going, but it yes. is interesting. Mm-hmm. But I was just going to mention about the, um, the well, we'll call it the sort of, it's not really the rhythm method, but natural family yep. planning. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned an app, um, Christy, because yes. there's been a lot of global discussion about this because a, a Swedish company um, developed. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This, this app, contraceptive app called Natural Cycles, and it was the first app actually to be uh, approved or registered in, in Europe. Uh, and there is a lot of fury. What it does, it's got a predictor. It, it, after putting in your sort of data over a certain number of cycles, it then has a predict, predictive algorithm to predict when you're, you know, when it's red, red for no or green for go. It depends which way you're using it, of course, whether it's to plan pregnancy <laughs> or to prevent pregnancy. Yeah. And interestingly, it got sort of, it came under scrutiny because there were more pregnancies than they anticipated. <laughs> And it was so interesting because what they found out was that some of these pregnancies actually it was it was people were just just using it in the different days. So you know it didn't take into account that sexual behaviour. So no. even though it says red is for no, that sex was still happening at that time, and that's when actually those pregnancies were occurring. So mm-hmm. it was actually quite interesting. So I think there's a lot there's a lot of interest in this, but we have to let people know. And there are various apps which aren't approved in Australia. I have to say. Uh, so it sounds very exciting, and just because it's an app doesn't make it any more effective. <laughs> and beyond that, it's it's just like any other sort of prophylactic in that you're not going to, if you don't use it right, it's not going to be useful. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. If, if you've got the condom box sitting on your nightstand, yeah. they're not going to prevent pregnancy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So... <laughs> So that's where the LARP methods are quite, you know, they're yeah. interesting because they are. So I, I actually don't like the term very much. I have to say set and forget. <laughs> set and forget. <laughs> but it is interesting. Because the other thing that actually does have quite an impact is lots of different 
reasons, I suppose, that women will choose or people will choose one method of contraception over another. And, and the effect on bleeding patterns is another important mm-hmm. determinant. Absolutely. Yep. A major just, motivator. We just got pointed at. Christy's like, <laughs> apparently this is a hot button. This is a major. <laughs> I think this is a really important one to be thinking about in terms of sexual cultures as well. Yeah. And sexual cultures where, um, you know, uh, bleeding for a certain amount of time a month might have an impact on the yep. plans that you have. And so I think there are certain populations for whom reducing the number of days or the amount of time that you bleed is a really a strong motivator. It's a it consideration for sure. Contraception choices, yeah. yeah. It's interesting, actually, because we forget, really, that, um, you know, some many years ago, in years gone by, women actually had very few periods in their lifetime because they were either pregnant or breastfeeding mm-hmm. much of the time. So yeah. far fewer far fewer menstrual cycles. Whereas now, in fact, you know, with, with fewer children and less breastfeeding or no breastfeeding or no children, in fact, that you, you know, you have many more cycles. And in fact, we do know that that seems to be associated with, for instance, uh, the increased potential risk of, of ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. So that incessant ovulation. We know that the pill, for instance, can actually reduce the risk of ovarian cancer and reduce the risk of, mm-hmm. of cancer of the uterus as well. So we often think about the risks of, of uh, contraception. Yes. We don't always think about the benefits. Yes. Uh, well, What's interesting, isn't it, yeah. to challenge your ideas about what natural means? Yes. Because there's yeah. a lot of women for whom not having a period can feel quite confronting. Absolutely. Because they feel like, this is my, yeah. this is my cycle, this is my rhythm, this yeah. is how I know I'm well, and so on. And that's, yeah. you know, absolutely fine. Yeah. But, but also, um, yes, we... Yeah. live in a particular socio-historical moment and place and um, the things that we think of as natural are yes. actually really shaped by mm. the, the, mm-hmm. the time the time which we live, particularly for women. We yeah. haven't really had generations of women historically as they are living now in terms of the, in terms of, uh, the kinds of lives that we lead and the kinds yeah. of choices that we mm. have. So, mm. yeah. I think it is interesting because now as, as doctors, as health professionals, we're you know, just uh, raising that awareness that there's no harm to be done in taking a pill continuously, for instance. And there's been a lot of media on it, yeah. on it recently because, you know, I suddenly realised that there was no good reason when the pill was developed to actually have a seven-day break. And in fact, a seven-day break is a bit bonkers, actually, because in that seven-day break, it puts a woman right on the edge of just being just about to ovulate again. So if she mm. forgets to start her new pack or is late starting a pill, you know, starting that next pack of pills then she's at risk of risk of pregnancy so now all the newer packs of pills have actually got four days a four day break but of course some have zero days yes (laughs) but of course I certainly know just having worked in this area for many years you know even if I explain that there's nothing women worry about blood building up inside they think look there must be something bad happening here the blood must be building up inside Mm. and when I explain that actually the lining of the uterus is getting thinner and thinner and there's no bleeding because Mm. there's nothing to have a a bleed with they still prefer some women will still prefer to have that regular bleed Mm -hmm. and it's just for them it feels like it's a cleansing process it's I mean you know it's horses for courses and as long as people understand you know and can make that informed choice that's fascinating you know and it's funny you know Christy you were talking about um the the choice to not bleed due to your lifestyle and it's something that has always amazed me because I was I was raised in a culture uh, in this in the states where you know a woman's period you don't you basically don't touch her you know almost as if there's something dirty or unclean about Mm, it yeah Uh, and the the women that I knew in 
in my past, that's the way they treated themselves. Mm-hmm. When you were when you were uh, on your period, you, like there was no sex, there mm-hmm. was no yeah. like I don't even want to touch you kind yeah. of thing. Or they, which was them towards me as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I meet Angela, who is. And, and I'm going to be crass here. I'm going to apologize. It's okay. We but, can handle yeah, okay. uh, <laughs> Early on in our relationships, I'm getting ready to go down on her. And she looks at me and goes, I hope you like the taste of pennies. <laughs> and I'm like, we're like mid-sex. And like, and at the time, it was that was a bit yeah. mentally confronting. Yeah. But yeah. then her comfort yes. level yes. with it and the fact that she was like, it's just something yeah. my body does yeah. made me a lot more comfortable with it, yes. which I think has... Yeah really it's helped our relationship mm-hmm. but on top of that it's that ability to talk about it as if it's not something it's not dirty shameful. or un- no. shameful and or me- unclean i think there's yeah. really interesting work happening at the moment about menstruation and how it signifies um and and the kind of gender relations around around mm. periods is is so much more work to be done yeah. but the cultural conversation has begun and I mm-hmm. see that I see that more and more are really around period sex specifically mm-hmm. but more generally you know what, what, what why do we bring those assumptions yes. um, yeah. to, to to what this what is such yeah. an ordinary part of our world it's been a great taboo and I still see many young women who really they can even struggle talking about their periods as well yeah. as mm-hmm. you know vaginal discharge and all those things which are perhaps a little bit more taboo to talk mm. about mm. but I agree I think there's a, a much more open discourse now you know people know about menstrual cups for instance and yeah. period underwear and that conversation is out there and I, I always have the barometer of what can I say on the on the ABC radio <laughs> <laughs> and literally a few years ago they you know it's, I remember actually recently there was one where I was talking it was a lovely program of talking about the sex to me and they said oh we better make sure this is put on late at night because it's going, it's going to be very very challenging but certainly periods you could not have talked about in daytime radio and I think that's actually changed because yeah. yeah. yeah that's, that's a wrong yeah. mentality to have yeah. you know especially about yeah. something it's and not unnatural the, like, yeah. the word that you use was shame yeah right yes. so so and and we have to also again have kind of um recognize that this really depends on the particular cultural mm. religious social place mm. that you've grown up with and the values that you have that your family mm. has um but any opportunity to try to reduce our assumptions about how shame is associated yes. with sexual reproductive health with bodies and sex I think is of benefit um, including in relation to gender but not only but you're absolutely right that concept of shame is interesting because I was talking to one woman who didn't have periods uh, using contraception but then there's another woman I'll talk about as well she felt shame about that actually so that was actually about not having having in her her culture that Mm. was symbolising being a woman for her so that was just something Mm. that wasn't working for her and, and other people I'm thinking of are where women it's a, it's a very distressing um, diagnosis sometimes is to have premature we used to call it premature menopause but pre- premature ovarian insufficiency is what we call it now so for women in their 20s and 30s uh, who find themselves in that situation where they have got this sort of we'll call it premature menopause it can be a very very confronting around you know mm-hmm. what it means into a not just fertility but mm-hmm. you know just that embodiment of what it means to mm-hmm. be a woman for for that person it's to, interesting for me I have two pre-adolescent girls that I'm raising mm-hmm. um, and uh, thinking about how I'm 
very carefully trying to introduce ideas about how their bodies work and how mm-hmm. they'll change mm-hmm. and really um, trying to prepare them for, for, for the ways that their bodies yep. will work yeah. at this point in history where we, we, we have to be really careful about not shaming, yeah. um, not attaching shame and, and so mm-hmm. on. Um, uh, but yes, I mean, there will be many young women who actually don't have many periods potentially mm-hmm. in their lives that's because right. of contraceptive choices. And, so that's and a different world than the one that yeah. I came into puberty through, yeah. um, you know, and, and so it's, in, it's interesting, again, th- thinking about parenting choices mm. and how, mm-hmm. you, how you advise and support mm. through that. Mm-hmm. But the designers or the, the, people that, the people who are thinking about contraception in the future, you're right, I mean, it's, it, it is so important that they actually, and I know this is happening, but it's actually listening to, listening to the users of contraception yes. to actually know what they want and, yes. and you know... Yes, how we can how we can actually provide contraception that people want to use because I think you know contraception also has had a very poor history, of course, in terms of yeah. human rights. So we've also contraception has been used, you know, to control people's fertility and mm-hmm. you know sometimes at the level of whole countries, of course, we've had the one-child policy in China, mm-hmm. but there's been also you know mass sterilizations in in uh, India and and certainly you know even in Australia there's been some you know. Uh, poor history of of abuses of of contraception for mm-hmm. you know young women living in institutions, for instance, given given depo provera injections mm-hmm. without their consent. So, you know, we need to recognise those injustices of the past and make sure we don't repeat them. I have to say, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, thinking about the future of contraception, it seems as though at this point in time we don't put a lot of responsibility of contraception on men. Mm-hmm. Do you see <laughs> that changing? And as far as options that are available, people's willingness to go along with it? I think it's a huge area of interest. In fact, the World Health Organization has highlighted it as an area that we really have to look at. So I think, as you say, there's been very limited options, basically Mm -hmm. vasectomy and condoms, and Mm -hmm. that's it. And now there's been some challenges along the way. We've got all the science to actually create hormonal contraception for men. There were some challenges with it, because sometimes if you give men hormones to actually knock out sperm production what does it also do it knocks out testosterone and libido right. <laughs> so contraception in itself but not, <laughs> not desirable so it's getting getting the balance right if you're going yeah. to use hormonal contraception but we do have that science but the problem has been and we know that men want to use it and we know that their partners want them to use it as well mm. so uh, there's some differences we can talk about in mm. terms of different types of relationships but there's been just problems with getting the funding, getting the drug companies to actually sponsor and support these big expensive trials because they feel, look, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to be a money-making thing for us. Uh, and there was a notable trial that got stopped. Australia was part of it. It was a big global trial on, on a, an injection for, for men, and it mm-hmm. was stopped, and there was much ridicule in the press because I think there, were, there was a relatively small number of men they experienced, you know, a bit of a painful arm and maybe a bit of a headache. <laughs> <Lies>. <laughs> but there were some other more serious side effects as well. But yeah. it's, you know, again, it's just making sure then that you can actually go the next step. So I think there is a lot of interest in, in male contraception. There's actually one that may go, you know, cross the line is actually something called vasal gel, which is a reversible vasectomy. So it's a little plugs are inserted into the, the vas deferens, that's mm-hmm. the tubes uh-huh. that carry the, the sperm, and then they can you can actually dissolve those out if you don't want them anymore. So that's a good oh. thing, isn't it? Cool. It's yeah. cool, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's still only in, in animals at this stage, so we're hoping, again, it just needs 
needs that boost of, of funding to get it over the over the line because with vasectomy uh, certainly we've just started our vasectomy service at family planning actually and there's a you know a big queue i have to say we know we're in line <laughs> oh, I, have, I actually have an appointment on monday oh. <laughs> so. That would have been great. That's fantastic. So, so I'm actually really interested with what you have about to say. <laughs> well, but speak to me because you know it's been around for a long time, and there's actually an increase in in the numbers of vasectomies being you know happening around Australia at the moment, which seems to be a bit of a global move. So that's interesting, a renewed interest in it. Um, so, you know, it's very simple, of course, just under a bit of local anaesthetic. It's very, very sort of, you know, low trauma. But the key thing with it is you do have to see it as as irreversible. Mm-hmm. So even though you can say, look, that, you know, and we'll always, when I'm on those radio programs, some men will ring up and say, oh, look, you know, I got mine successfully reversed and, and that was great. But you can't predict whether mm-hmm. that reversibility is going to work for you because it's either it's very expensive sort of microsurgery, putting all the tubing back. Sometimes there's another technique that can be used. But there are there is something called anti-sperm antibodies which may affect the chance of, of pregnancy later on. And, and, you know, you just can't guarantee that that's going to happen. But it's a very straightforward procedure. You've got to have the bag of frozen peas handy <laughs> afterwards. You're the third person who did that exact thing. <laughs> can I just add it? something sure. about vasectomy because yes. I find vasectomy fascinating um, you can hold my hand if you want <laughs> yes can I take notes um, look it's sort of it really is bonkers that more men don't take up vasectomy so that, that I mean that sounds very judgmental it's just at a population level it would appear to be one of the simplest safest most reliable mm-hmm. options and so of course we know that this does reveal the reproductive burden being largely on women's shoulders that yes. responsibility is yep. seen um to be like that, that contraception is, is a woman's job um However, I think it's a little more complicated yeah, than that. And, um, with this New Zealand colleagues, Gareth Terry and Virginia Braun, who've done a really interesting study on vasectomy there, they've got one of the highest rates of vasectomy in the world. So they were looking mm. at men, like why, like what mm. does it mean? But the fascinating thing, they've got an idea, they've got this concept of contraceptive economies, which is basically saying that um, uh, there's, there's, there's various economies which are circulating around contraceptive choices. So some of them are around, you know, act access issues and some of them around gender concepts yeah. like the things that kind of shape right. how we see choices yep. and what we take up and what we don't um but one of them that they one of the economies that they were describing is they called an economy of gratitude which meant that any involvement by men in engaging in reproductive choices and decisions was worthy of additional praise (laughs) (laughs) so there was really this sense that i i this is that this is kind of a heroic Heroic. act um and so even the men for whom this was straightforward and not a problem this still kind of came with a sense that i'm i'm doing something a bit different i'm doing i'm i'm my part i'm being a good partner i'm being a, a responsible parent often as well um and a good citizen so, you know, I think we have to be a little bit careful about how we engage men. I think that's Because right. the point is not that they get additional praise. The point <laughs> is that <laughs> we, can, we can all be making, we can all be contributing in useful ways to the right contraceptive options being available. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I think it's interesting actually because there are big differences between different cultures around vasectomy. And I know... Um, 
Papua New Guinea, for instance, has quite a high rate. Who would think it? So, you know, it's yeah. quite And it, it does seem to often come down to having those champions. But those yeah. champions, it is often... Their byline is that heroism, as you say. Yes, it's really it's interesting. interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is interesting, and certainly certain cultures and certain religions actually will also, mm-hmm. you know, that it's it's not um, permissible actually yeah. in certain mm-hmm. certain religions. But there's also uh, there's also a lot of mythology around it as well, mm-hmm. and we know that some uh, men can can feel very anxious that it's going to have an effect on their sexual performance, mm-hmm. and you know things might be different mm-hmm. afterwards, mm-hmm. and certainly you do need to, you know. For us running a service, we need to, to just be very confident that people you know, feel that this is the right thing, that we're going to minimise any regret uh, <laughs> later on that might happen. But there are, yes, there are different... I think there's a lot of interesting things behind it. Yes, <laughs> and lots of really interesting ideas about masculinity, yep. virility, yeah. Yeah. Well, responsibility. Yeah. You know, and it's funny. There's like It was something that I've wanted to do for a while, mm. and we've had a number of doctors look at us and go, why? She's on the IUD. Oh. And... You know, sure, I get that, but then we were like, well, we're also non monogamous, and I don't want, you know, little Bradford's running yeah. around by accident. It, yeah. It's, yeah, because it's not going to change the fact that I haven't, I'm not going to get rid of no. my IUD. And we do use condoms with other partners, it's just an added bit of insurance. Yes. 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 And yes. we don't want children, so it's not yes. going to impact us whatsoever. Yes. No. Yeah. But yes. it can only help. And have yes. you found, and this is interesting to me because I've heard this anecdotally, that some clinicians can be quite concerned about. Your age and the decision that you're not yes. going to have children. Yes. yes. That oh my you gosh. still need that. You, that you almost you might want that option. That's one right. Day. You, that, you're going to change you're your not mind. Really able to make that. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not mature earlier. enough. At, that at, is a very common. <laughs> at over forty. Uh, yes. <laughs> like, yes. like, I might still want kids. Like, look, I'm not Hugh Hefner. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might really? wish I was. <laughs> yes. But I agree with you. That sort of you know paternalistic attitude. I suppose it is. But it certainly again when I'm on the talkback radios that's something that comes up that people mm-hmm. felt that they you know they were told they were too young and they couldn't possibly do it although interestingly uh, it, it comes more actually from women who are you know maybe they've got three children maybe they don't want children but they want to they want sterilization they want a tubal ligation and I well know that it is very very difficult as a, as a young woman to get a, a sterilization or tubal ligation in a in a public mm-hmm. hospital mm-hmm. or even privately very challenging easier easier for, for younger men actually to access a service so again I think there's some judgments going going on there as well yeah. so it's a bit, yeah very interesting well I remember when Angela got her IUD most recently they were mm-hmm. even like well don't worry if you decide you have kids we can take this out I was like but that's not no. yes. I don't understand no. like, why does that even come up as part of the conversation right? yeah and this is my third IUD so a I understand it can come out but b I'm on number three and I haven't wanted children in the past what 10 15 years it's probably not going to happen yeah. yeah it's a it's a it's a cultural resistance to the idea of childlessness it being is. a legitimate yeah. choice yeah. and again that's it another is. conversation we are beginning to have more we but we have we so are. much and again that comes so back to that to go. you know just training of doctors again and yeah. you know we've got a whole new generation of doctors coming through who will be very cognizant of these facts yeah. but you're right it's, uh, there is that assumption sometimes yeah. and we are a bit of a pronatalist society yes, we, you know, and I are. think it does yeah. depend as well on how it's presented because if it's presented as you know it can come out if you decide da, 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 yeah. like that's yeah. fine that's great but if the doctor's trying to persuade you yes. that's different so I think it depends yeah, as well on the tone of voice and yeah. how it's presented and, yes. and that type of thing yeah yeah, yeah. so cool 
Um, I'll let you know how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will say that one person, he did do his vasectomy on air on radio, so... so, (laughs) Honestly, we've already talked about (laughs) asking the the doctor if we could. We were going to talk about it on the podcast. I don't... If we could record it, that'd be great. That'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm more than happy, because it is something that I think it's important. And if, if it's a decision that more... I get more guys need to make. Uh, and, and if I'm, they can see how it is. And, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I don't expect, I'm used to shots and type one diabetic. That, that's, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Yes. You, you can be a role model in this space. <laughs> Bradford. I think you can. <laughs> it's interesting though, Bradford. I mean, what's your thought then around that sort of reversible vasectomy? Uh, Look, interesting, isn't it? I don't, I mean, I can see it as a great idea yeah. because if somebody decides later on that, yes, I want to yeah. have children, then I can see maybe pushing younger men towards a reversible. That's what I, was yes, I think that's right. Yeah. And then, yeah. but somebody my age, like, I, I think I know what I want yeah. at this age. Yeah. And at this point, it you know, it's not going to change. Yeah. Now I admit, we all. I mean, the only constant people change. The only constant is change. <laughs> yeah. And I, I understand that. But you also get to know yourself. Yeah. And yeah. to be sure in that, and that's where and culturally I'm, we need to recognize that. Yeah. that and else. I can yeah. see, like you said, pushing younger men towards it because, especially, we've both had many well, multiple marriages before, and and it is one of those things that like, when you're with one partner, you may think, oh, I don't want children. Maybe with another partner later, you might. But like you said, I've over, got a story about that. But, <laughs> Over time, you do learn yourself a lot better, and yes. you can suss out: yes. Am I making these decisions because it's what I want, or is it societal pressure on me? Yeah. And I think having yeah. that maturity, and for some people, that happens at a yeah. younger age than others. Yeah. So I think it's good to have the option of the reversible vasectomy. Yeah. But it, you know, yeah. but is it right for everybody? No, but yeah. nothing is right. Nothing is right. Yeah. 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 That autonomy. Yeah. You're right. So, oh Christy, well, well this story? is a very non-research based. <laughs> although I have read it in a in I think one study, but this is anecdotal from a number of men that I know or I've heard from um, that one of the main reasons they wouldn't do a vasectomy, even though they already have children, is that if in the future their current marriage ends, mm-hmm. they want the option to repartner, and they're assuming that that new partner may be younger and may want children and mm. i find that quite interesting <laughs> and, and a little bit difficult I, children i, I find that very right. confronting you said it not me because of course what that reveals all kinds of things <laughs> about yes. our our gendered yeah. relationships yeah. and age yeah. and all kinds of things yeah. yep. yeah. yes yeah. Um, back to Hugh Hefner yes <laughs> but also that men will kind of presume that they're what they have to offer is also um, uh, to be a father. They're a sperm, a sperm donor. Absolutely. Um, and mm. how central that is mm. to their understanding of themselves. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Some I questions about ideas about their current relationships as well, maybe. But I think it's very interesting. So, again, as doctors, we must make sure that we aren't making, well, jumping to conclusions, mm. making assumptions, being judgmental. So, there are a lot of things in that training around communication that are so important. Really? Yeah. yeah. I've got one thing I was going to suggest. Yeah. So we, we, we briefly briefly touched on um, the way that reproductive technologies have been used um, inappropriately. So we've kind of talked yes. about sterilization and how that's been used politically in terms of population control, but also in terms of intervening in the way that particular populations are kind of are managed Um and we have that's that's been a, a really really problematic part of the um, experience of many post-colonial nations, including Australia and its treatment of Indigenous people. So uh, 
America has its own, mm-hmm. you know, controversies yeah. around yeah. sterilization yeah. Yeah. and Canada. Um, and I think it's really important that we recognize that the work, the amazing work, in my personal opinion, that is happening in family planning and other reproductive health um, agencies today is also making sure that these technologies are not being used in the wrong ways, um, coercively, yeah. Yeah at an individual level yeah. because we see reproductive coercion also occurring sometimes within partnerships. Mm. Deb, can you tell us about what that means? Yeah, so reproductive coercion is is increasingly recognised uh, and it can occur at many different levels. So, you know, it can occur at, a, at the intimate partner level mm. uh, and but it can occur also, I have to say, at, you know, at a health service level even. Mm. So I'll tell, tell you what I'm talking about with that. But also at a, at a, a country level or mm. a policy level, a politics, mm. political level. So I mentioned before about the one-child policy, of mm. course. So that was, you know, really women in China, after they'd had one child, they'd often have a stringless IUD inserted, wow. which was designed oh. never to be removed. So they couldn't actually have more more children so and of course that's led to a a big imbalance gender imbalance in the country so uh, and then we know that you know in in other countries yes there's been as I mentioned before sterilization sort of camps etc in Australia as well we've had you know programs really which have been you know the forced use of Depo-Provera it's had a poor history I have to say Depo-Provera here as in many many countries Um, and I know that you know just as us as as well-meaning doctors sometimes I often tell the story actually of you know I've seen many young women who've got contraceptive implants and sometimes they don't like them. They want to have them taken out. It may be because they, you know, they want to have a pregnancy. It may be that they've got side effects. Uh, but you know, and they sometimes tell me the story of, of going from well-meaning doctor to well-meaning doctor who just says, "Just keep it a bit longer. Keep it a bit longer." Uh, whereas in fact, it's, we were talking about autonomy before. Mm. You know, this, and that's you know because. It would be not a good thing if you got pregnant, sort of keep it longer. Mm-hmm. And I must say, there's been, I'm going to say a terrible thing now, because there have been some you know, cases that I've seen where, where young women, and it is young women, have actually taken them out themselves oh. with a oh, razor wow. blade. So, you know, we must ensure as health practitioners that we're not, that we're That's always right, just listening. coercive yeah. messages yeah. come in all forms, don't yeah. they? Some of them are yeah. about explicit forms yeah. of control. Some mm-hmm. of them are subtle, yeah. that this is what you really should be doing yeah. because we think it's inappropriate yeah. for, you know, and there's a lot not of to be. Awareness of that around LARC, actually, because the big um, LARC program, all the research came out of St. Louis in, in the States in the Choice Project. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of uh, poor women of colour who were involved mm-hmm. in those early research studies and you know there was quite a, a lot of criticism I suppose about whether this you know this, they were giving free lark in this situation and you know whether there was coercion going on in that mm. situation uh, and you know there was a, a good good robust debate about it actually to have to say so mm. again it's but it, and it really raised that awareness of making sure I may think lark's the best thing since sliced bread but I need to make sure that you know I'm, I'm presenting it in a, a balanced way but then coming to the intimate Yes, partners yes, or yes. reproductive yep. coercion so we're starting to ask questions of, of people that come into our service now because mm. we recognize that that uh, there can be coercion around using contraception or not using contraception and we've had you know we know that women can have their you know contraceptive pills conf- you know, confiscated mm-hmm. uh they can you know 
not be allowed to come and get an injection. And we've heard of a couple of ones of, of you know, a partner taking out a, a woman's IUD. So mm. and that's so to control wow. her mm. fertility. And that also comes as well around sort of um, IVF services. And I certainly see couples mm. sometimes. And, and I need to always make sure I see the people on their own because, you know, presenting as a couple and there may well be an imbalance in actually you know who wants what and mm-hmm. sometimes there can be coercion involved in that mm-hmm. and that's the same for in, fact, in terms of ending a pregnancy as well around an abortion so we know that you know women can uh, be forced sometimes to have an abortion or forced not to have an abortion so it's just recognizing mm-hmm. this and, and really you know developing more or grabbing more evidence around this in, in Australia so we can actually mm. support support women and, and we do sometimes choose methods of contraception which can't be detected by a partner mm-hmm. so sometimes we will use an IUD with the, the strings cut very short or we will suggest a, an injection which can't be detected but of mm-hmm. course the woman has to still come every three months and sometimes that may be impossible for her to do that mm. without being being followed so mm. there's real awareness of it. And I think that, you know, the, the, that's the difficult things to think about. And also I think a lot of people haven't thought about them, mm-hmm. that, that coercive and mm-hmm. con- controlling behaviours can apply right across a woman's yeah. life or Absolutely. in any intimate partner relationship, actually, not mm-hmm. just gendered. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is wonderful is to see how many organisations like Family Planning are seeing this as a priority for them in terms of, again, those not missing those opportunities to ask the right questions in the right way to know what's going on and and also trying to link women, in this case almost predominantly, to services that can support them at the right times. So how can people, like the general people, like the general public, help uh, organizations like family planning planned parenthood etc etc how what can what can we do mm-hmm. well i think spreading the word is the main thing because pe- people don't always know about our services and and that they're open to everyone so i think that's the key thing is about raising that awareness spreading the word we've got a great website there's different family planning organizations across the country they've all got great websites they've got really good lots of good resources information sheets and loads of as you say loads of good resources so in different languages as well which is great yeah so it is just about raising raising that awareness and we've got a fantastic telephone line as i said in the live chat so Mm -hmm. uh and in fact that's proved very useful for young men for instance in fact may find it really confronting to go and visit a visit a doctor but they Mm -hmm. can actually they're happy to to live chat or to speak on the telephone to someone so I think it's you know it is it's just so so spreading the word so this well, podcast yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it is something that like I know Angela her her last IUD uh, came from was. I guess it gotten was, inserted. I guess yes. from sorry, words are hard I always, for me. Yeah. I always want to say installed. Yeah, I, don't, no, right. I don't know why. Well, so my problem is I always want to call it an IED. <laughs> like that's different. Uh, vastly different. Uh, so after I always say IUD, then I have no idea what. I'm like, did I use the right one? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, but that was from family planning, yeah. and then you know my appointment for the vasectomy is through family planning. It's mm-hmm. it's something that. We've and, and always just, felt more comfortable, I think, going to family planning good. than your yeah. GP, well, our yeah. GP. Yeah. Well, and we admittedly first found out about family planning uh, at Sexpo. They yeah. had a booth oh, one year. Yes, and, yes. And, and Frank it, the Elephant, I think. Yes. It? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very large inflatable elephant. <laughs> <laughs> but that was where we first heard about it. And yeah. I was like, oh, so there is something around here. Because mm. we admittedly at that point hadn't looked. It wasn't time for my IUD to come out yet. 
I think I may have had one pap test at that point after we moved to Australia, but I wasn't really on a regular schedule yet. And uh, yeah, so it was really good for us to find out about the services. And it was like, oh, yeah, there's a place I can go and I feel comfortable. And that's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And it is it's extremely important to have Mm -hmm. a space that you can go and feel comfortable and that, you know, you can rely on them and that you ask questions and they give you good answers. And it's funny. It goes back to, Christy, what you were saying before about the hero thing. I always feel good about myself when I go to family planning. Hmm. Like you go there, you're supporting a, a part of the community that I think is either undersupported or ignored or misunderstood yeah. and I think those three things are things that I always yeah. I will I fight for those that are you know undersupported misunderstood or whatever the third thing I said was uh, you know it's <laughs> it's good to support them yeah yeah cool uh well we're we gonna end this here and yeah. then come back to to, for more yes, later. Yes, exactly. Woo-hoo. All right. Uh, thank you guys very much. Thank you. You're, thank you. Great conversation. Sit, yeah, you're going to sit here and we're going to have another conversation. <laughs> but, you know, for the people at home, microphone people. Uh, they have to wait a week. At least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we'll, we'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs> Again, we would like to say a very special thank you to Dr. Deborah Bateson and Dr. Christy Newman for joining us this week in discussing reproductive justice. If you have questions or comments for either them or us, please get in touch with us via email at theatomsoflove at gmail.com, via Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at By the By Podcast. If you would like to keep this podcast coming, help support us on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash bythebypodcast. And you can also find us at our website, www.bythebye.com.au. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Mr. Pent, co-host of Life on the Swing Set, and you're listening to a Swing Set Network podcast on swingset.fm. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.